Welcome to the IoT Podcast, the home of IoT talks and tales. I'm your host this week, Tom White. Tune in every Monday as we're joined by the biggest names in IoT to unravel the trends, misconceptions, and predictions for the Internet of Things. Make sure you're subscribed and press the notification bell so you're never out of the loop. Hi guys, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Akenza IO. Akenza IO are a self-service IoT platform allowing you to build great IoT products and services with real value. Hey Adam, welcome to the IoT podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, excited to be here. Thanks, Adam. So for those that don't know you, could you explain a little bit about your background and what brought you into this crazy world? Sure. So, you know, I've been in industrial manufacturing for almost 20 years now. Um, really started there after after college. And about seven uh, years ago, we started to build IoT solutions in the company I was working for. Um, we spun that out to its own separate company um, where we focus on the OEM, people that build the machines. We focus uh, off highway, so outside the factory walls. And it's really about just taking that that machine data and able to provide that back to the business and the human data to help run that machine more efficiently. So uh, yeah, we've been we work with primarily small and medium sized businesses. So you know, not the not the big green iron and yellow iron you see out there. Everyone right underneath them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So what? Um, so what do you mean for, uh, especially for our listeners, Adam, with electrification and industrials? What what does that specifically mean? Yeah, so it's all over the map, right? So when we look at um, electrification into off highway machines, you might have machines that are going one hundred percent electric, right? Mm-hmm. So you could take, let's say, a, a port, for example, and they're running um, electric lifts everywhere and electric cars. We also have these hybrid machines where they're going to reduce the size of maybe like the diesel engine, but they're going to run auxiliary functions off the battery. And it's, it's a, you know, there's not one strategy that's, that fits it all. Um, I would say that it's accelerated a lot over the last four or five years. The OEMs that we work with that are moving into electrification, they're probably the fastest growing OEMs. They're not the largest volume yet but they're definitely the fastest growing because they have a lot of end customers or municipalities and stuff pulling them into the electrification market. So yeah, it's, it's all over. It's fun. It's fun to see how these, uh, these companies attack this, this innovation. And it's exciting because, you know, for 40, 50 years, a lot of machines are just built with big diesel engines and you, you, you know, you oversized them, you make sure they could go up Pike's peak in the middle of winter, um, no matter where they're being operated. Now they're looking at machines and saying, hey, this machine runs in um, Arizona all year round. Um, we can size it to be right for Arizona. And so we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of really cool innovation and research being done right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, EV's certainly here to stay and is growing rapidly across all sectors. Uh, it's interesting for me, especially because a lot of people talk about the race to uh, get EVs into the automobile industry, right? Um, and this this comes up less actually when it comes about industrials. You know, people this isn't at the forefront of of some some of the guests that we've had uh, on their minds. So it's great to get into this today with you. And there's certainly yeah. a wave happening. There's certainly a wave happening, right, with electrification in your view and 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 that of your business. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you know, 
for us, a couple things have happened. Once, you know, one, the technology had to get better, right? The technology had to make sense for it to run um, with these industrial machines. Um, so the price point had to come down. You know, you had weight issues. You had a bunch of different things. Um, even the controllers, the, the folks that make the inverters and the controllers, it was priced way too high five years ago for electric machines to make financial sense. That's really that's that's been a big uh, a big difference. And, but the other big thing is regulatory situations, right? California and the state of New York, they have these 2030 initiatives where they're really pulling manufacturers to create more electric machines because they're going to have to have a percentage of their fleet to be electric to sell into these states. So the regulation is now forcing a function to get there. We saw this in the diesel world. They had tier four engines, stage five engines, where they put a lot of treatment um, after tr after treatment into the engines, made it really costly, made it run more efficiently. You weren't going to do that until they said you had to do it, right? It didn't make sense. So we are seeing this force um, this force multiplier from from the regulatory agencies, and we're seeing a lot of industries out there, um, organizations now that are building their roadmaps to that twenty thirty. Guideline, so it's creating the momentum. I think that's going to be necessary uh, for this to be ultimately a success out there. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you know it's it's generally it's a it's a positive thing, right? You know, there's some naysayers out there in the market about you know are we robbing people to pay poor with the energy? Uh, some conspiracy theorists talking around you know shutting down machines and the government being able to shut down a an electrified machine quicker than they could a diesel engine machine, right? If they yeah. needed to. Um, but I think ultimately we're doing this for the good of the planet. We're doing this for the good of where we are. And, and it's timely because it should have happened years ago. Uh, so I think this, I think this date of 2030 um, is uh, quite a punchy date. Actually, it's the right date. Um, uh, but, but I, I hope that we can get there and I hope that we get there by, by the time set and, and it isn't pushed to the right. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Because some some people talk about you know this twenty thirty date is not being realistic, or you know um, it going to be you know put back uh, in different in different parts of the world. What's your view? Yeah, I think it's going to be a mixed bag, right? I think that you are going to see some of it pushed back, but there is a tremendous amount of innovation that's happening in the industry. There's a lot of resources that are being put in at these manufacturers. Um, but again, the technology, there's so much more uh, companies that were startups that have scaled, that have partnered with like the automotives that are now on the off-highway. Um, in the fluid power world, the manufacturing world, the really big four players out there of supply companies are making major acquisitions into electrification technology or partnerships. Mm -hmm. I think that's all a real positive sign. Um, where I maybe be a little bearish is I'm not sure we're going to have the infrastructure set up to run all of these electric machines out there. Uh, I was actually down in Boise this last weekend talking with a construction company that builds massive infrastructure projects for Idaho. And just to get the, the network switching gear for the power stations is a 14 month lead time. So, wow. and if you're going to see this big demand come, is the supply going to be able to keep up with it? Right. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I would say it's pretty, pretty bullish. And then, you know, the other thing too is, you know, if you look at what's happening with like rolling blackouts, like in California um, and stuff like that, and they have to tell Tesla owners to 
keep their cars turned off. What's the grid? How's it going to impact the grid when we have, you know, 300,000 electric machines or 3 million electric machines, you know, all trying to do work uh, in North America? You know, will our grid be able to, ha- to handle that? Um, I know it sounds really good on on messaging and on paper, but the reality is every summer, uh, you know, states like California are telling telling their residents not to charge their their Teslas at certain points of the day. I don't know if you tell a construction project not to run their run their machines um, at a, or don't run your street sweepers or or the case. So I think there's some challenges, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing to get onto actually because we we see that a lot here in Europe, right? We see that the product is pretty good. Uh, if you look at some of the cars that are out there, quite topical at the moment, you've got some really high-end cars, um, you know, Porsches, et cetera, going for, you know, $100,000, $200,000, right? Uh, that are really, really great. But the infrastructure isn't quite there there, you know? And, you know, most of the, uh, you know, the charging stations are 50 kilowatt. They're not the fast chargers. And, you know, li- you know, uh, you know, and, and that's on the commercial kind of, you know, consumer side. Um, and in the industrial side, it's a, it's a whole different kettle of fish, right? It's a whole different story again. So I think there's a lot of shifts that are going to need to take place in order to get us there from an infrastructure point of view. What shifts are you seeing take place with the OEMs at the moment to make it more of a framework that's going to be robust and, and get to that point that we're talking about 2030? Yeah, so I would say one of the biggest things we've seen with these projects or any digital project really in the last few years, but let's just stay with electrification, is this collaboration of the ecosystem that's coming together to build that new generation machine. So, you know, if you look at connectivity, you look at the cloud, you look at IoT enabled solutions, all those stuff, they're rolling out their their new machines for the first time in the field at some type of volume of production, right? And they're gathering all this information and data out there and all the supply partners, the main supply partners that are helping to build that are collaborating to look at that data, figure out how to make the machine better the next year. If there's an issue in the field, they're sharing that information in real time to try to get that up and going. Because, you know, we have infrastructure like physical infrastructure, but then you also have human resource infrastructure, right? When you have uh, diesel mechanics and fluid power mechanics that are now having to deal with massive electrification machines, that's a whole different education out there, right? And um, they have the aptitude to do it, but that learning curve uh, needs to catch up. So the partners come in and can help with that. I think that's really encouraging because I think just like these electric cars, you know, um, like the Teslas of the world, let's just use them, how they update their software, you know, once a week, pretty much, right? We're seeing the same thing on the OEMs level. They're learning something about those electric machines out there. They're going, oh, we can make, we can make a, a software change that's going to provide, you know, uh, more safety where it's going to provide more power in this scenario or limit power in this scenario. Right. And they're able to update that software um, remotely now because most of these machines are connected. So that's pretty cool. Um, before that machine would go in the field and, uh, you know, previous generation says a diesel machine and you'd wait till your next dealer meeting, get feedback from them, let them know what they liked and they didn't like. You take it back, do some PowerPoints engineering design, see what's going out there. Now you're getting that real-time design feedback and performance feedback um, like never before. So that is really encouraging and really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a coalition of different technologies at the moment, isn't it? Bringing things together. 
to to enable us to get to this point to yeah. be able to make this happen. I mean, would you say that's why now is this the big push uh, for the industrials to be electrified? Yeah. So I think two things, right? So I think uh, I think the technology is there, you know. So obviously, you know, how much better Zoom and Teams and all these different, you know, uh, cloud collaboration tools. I also think that during, uh, you know, COVID, a lot of industrial companies were forced to move a lot of their stuff to the cloud. So you know, often a lot of they have these on-prem uh, systems and they weren't uh, cloud and collaborative friendly. Now everyone's using Slack and Teams and stuff. So to get that information from your machine back and share it feels like normal business operations. I think we swallowed a massive frog in 20 and 2021 because we were forced to collaborate with each other and with our machines. And I think that accelerated where the industrial space was by a decade, because I knew of a ton of companies that we worked with that didn't use Teams, they did not use Slack, they didn't use Zoom, they didn't do this stuff. And it was a harder culture shift to get them to understand the value of this connection and sharing of information. That's not the case anymore. So that is the technology and this massive culture shift um, is, I think, is a perfect recipe for what we're seeing out here with these new generations of, of machines and ecosystems. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, being forced into this situation of working through technology and working through software in order to be productive uh, really has been a case of survival of the fittest and, or, and dragged people into this kind of new dawn, right? Um, yep. You know, and the, the software-defined thing you know, be that a vehicle, a machine, whatever it is, it's becoming more and more prominent. And there's loads of different use cases of this, you know, being held as across the, you know, across the yeah, internet at the moment. And, but, you know. and I think too, you know, one of the things that, you know, we were hearing probably from like 2008 till now is the massive um, gap in uh, people joining the manufacturing industry in North America. It's going to be like, you know, three, four million people in the next 10 years that are leaving the workforce, but not coming into manufacturing. So the great thing is this electrification, uh, autonomy, IoT has brought in new people, right? People are really excited about this that might not have got into manufacturing. And then to your point, they're trying to figure out how to how to run more efficient business processes, how to service the machines better, because they know they're not going to have the same, you know, human resources that we've experienced for the last 50 years. So how do you make up that gap, right? How do you become smarter with what you're doing as a company? And so that's really exciting as well, because again, you can't do that in a silo. You got to do that as a connected ecosystem. And um, it's a fun time. And there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of innovation that's happening. And um, it's probably the most exciting that manufacturer has been in a really, really long time. Yeah, absolutely. It, in terms of uh, kind of the most prominent use cases that you're seeing at the moment, uh, what do they look like? And, and also, what are the coolest kind of um, electrification and IoT use cases that you've seen and worked on as a business? Yeah. Um, so I'd say the most prominent I'm seeing is around uh, stuff like street sweeping, right? So okay. um, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the customer for a street sweeper are the residents of a city. And so... You know, cities are really saying, how can we make our residents happier? And they're looking at these electric street sweepers. So when they're street sweeping your streets at three in the morning, they're not waking you up in your condo or your apartment. Right. I think that's really great because it's creating a better environment that people live in. 
right? Looking at that. So that's, that, that's very prominent out there. A lot of municipalities have that, have that requirement now. Um, the other piece is, is ports around the ports, a lot of electrification around the ports. Probably, I think it's probably the largest use case for private 5G networks right now is ports around electrification and autonomous vehicles. So we see a, a major growth with that. One of the coolest electrification applications that we've been part of and and uh, that's out there for the industry is um, a cement trowel. So like the the uh, the thing that polishes cement, and you can ride okay. you can ride on top of it. Um, you know, we have a, a customer of ours that didn't want to get into a larger diesel engine because if they got into a larger diesel engine, it was going to add extra weight to that trowel, which was going to change the performance of how they how they did that concrete. So they look at doing a hybrid option. So they moved to a smaller engine. They went from over 100 horsepower down to about 65. They put battery packs in there for the major functions. It became a hybrid type machine. And when they went out there, a few things happened that that really caught them by surprise. One was the instant torque from the blade was like that. So you have these big 12-foot blades. They went from a 10-foot blade, the largest um, blade, to a 12-foot blade because they had that instant torque from, from the battery and the inverters, right, which was game-changing for the industry. And then they, then they had better control and a better quality product on the finish of their concrete. And so it costs them less money, ultimately, at the end of the day, to build the machine, reduce the weight of their machine, and it provided a better, it provided higher productivity with a longer blade and a better finish at the end. And I think that's really cool. And then what this company did was they went out there and they wrapped up some IP around it and they start to offer their cement trials as generators to, you know, organizations like FEMA, where when a storm comes and that, and those cement trials are available, they can offer them to first responders as a um, as a power gen system, right? And so it was really cool that it, it took um, this technology and create a whole new use for it as well. Yeah, pretty pretty neat though when when it's uh, when when you get to see it in action. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow, it's um it's crazy, really, right? Um, you know the the amount of different uh, use cases and some that you just can't really imagine. In this industry, it's, it's funny you should say around ports, right? Because uh, one of the biggest examples of a digital twin here in Europe in the early days of digital twins on large scale was the port of Rotterdam. Oh. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting how you know ports seem to be at the forefront of this. You know, you you, you just wouldn't think it because from a uh, from a consumer point of view, maybe you don't have that much interaction, but you know you're talking about electrification of ports, and there's massive cases of DTs in ports, and it's just like, wow, okay, you know these things are really uh, at the cutting edge of progression when it comes to uh, you know industry 4.0 and 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 that whole movement. Uh, so it's really curious that you should say that. Um, it's interesting as well because you mentioned some of the challenges uh, again of going hybrid to reduce the cost on this cement trial. Because I would imagine there's quite a few challenges that some would know and that some people wouldn't know until they're in it. What are some of the uh, uh, the most prominent things that people have when it comes to electrification? Yeah, I would say, you know, what we see all the time is definitely battery management, right? Even though there's battery management systems out there, you know, they still don't plug and play. You're doing a lot of engineering to figure that out for 
you know, for your cycles, for your workload, for your, your case. Um, I think just the battery, uh, the battery supply battery partnership, it's different. It's especially different for companies that supply the components to these machines. Um, you know, how you store those batteries, how you handle those batteries, how you package them together, all that stuff is a, is a real big, um, a real big deal. You're dealing with a lot of, you know, new, uh, you know, emags out there, right? Electromagnetic circuits that it's a different type of noise that you're looking at. So in, in our industry, we'd always joke around that you had a, re- you were really excited when your customer had an electrical engineer. They never had a software engineer on staff. That was like it, right? Software is in the IT department to keep the business up and running. They weren't building new product. That shift is big now, right? So either you're going to do that yourself or you're going to partner with partners to do it because now you are going to be talking about software programmers. You are going to be talking about more, you know, electrical uh, circuit experts, right? So that's a shift from a diesel engine driven, you know, machine to this electric machine. Um, yeah. And then I think the other big thing is how do you service it when it's in the field? You imagine your entire ecosystem knows your machines on the diesel or gas engine type scenario. Now you're offering hybrid, you're offering all the stuff and they might not be up to speed on, on how to service that. Right. They might not even be, up to, even like, you know, we, we did a, a garbage truck um, company one time and added all this new technology with a partner and one of the big things that the garbage truck company said was, don't change our cap. You can bring in all the new technology, but that operator at the end of the day is going to be using that joystick and using that screen eight hours a day. And if you make too big of a change, they're not going to like it, right? And yeah. so even, you yeah, know, all yeah. this new technology of all these people out there, that that could become you know, a real hurdle for adoption, right? Or, or bad customer um, retention. So... Yeah, it's it's got challenges. You know, it's definitely it's not going to be just go. But uh, there's a lot of benefits with it, too, because with that, as you get a more electrified machine and you have connectivity, you can do a lot more, you know, uh, over the air support. Right. We call it the virtual technician. You have a lot more information than you did on just, you know, an iron type machine. So there's trade offs. Right. But uh, but it's not going to be it's not going to be just peachy the whole way. You're definitely have to overcome those those hurdles. Make sure you have the right partners put into place to help you overcome those hurdles. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You're you're, you're so right. I mean, we, you know, we're sat here today filming this podcast using you know specialist podcast software. We're very software astute individuals, but there's a ton of companies out there that just wouldn't understand it, right? Yep. Um, or, or the leadership team, you know, the software person sat in the IT team and they just have no idea what, what's going on. And as everything moves more software defined, you've really got to keep up with it. Uh, so I can certainly see how that's issues uh, that people need to address. Go, going further than that, when does it make sense then to move to electrification? And when would it wouldn't, you know, we're all kind of in a race. We all kind of see it, but there must be some use cases out there where you think, actually, hang on a minute. I don't think this is right right now the right thing to do. Can you name any examples of that? Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of examples. I think there's a lot of construction equipment out there that doesn't make sense yet on the on the actual cycle. First of all, you have the cost scenario, right? So you're going to have uh, a cost per kilowatt or however you're going to measure it uh, to offset the diesel engine. And it's not going to make a, a ton of sense. And the big diesel engine manufacturers 
are looking at other alternative fuel surface uh, sources, right, to offer something different than electrification. So I think, you know, yeah, first you have the commercial piece and then you're going to look at just your utilization piece, right? Are you going to be able to actually keep this thing utilized? Are you going to have the power infrastructure to charge it? You know, what's your cycle times? You know, I think that the ag industry, while there's a big need, I would say, or desire to get electrification, often you have a small window to harvest those, you know, tomatoes or grapes or whatever it is you're doing. And until those companies can support a down electrified machine, they have all the infrastructure for this diesel machine. So, you know, it's there's a lot of different scenarios where it's not going to to make sense, right? The, the, the cost and the weight um, and the service and the support and the infrastructure isn't going to pan out. Um, but then there's a ton of, ton of uh, you know, the farther you get away, I would say, from a metropolitan center, the more difficult it's going to be. Um, the closer you're in with the metropolitan center, the, the better it is. If I'm in the, you know, the middle of the state of Washington versus right outside Seattle, it's going to be different in terms of the service and the capability um, out there. So I think there's, you know, there's still going to be, there's a lot of, I would say even the company that does those trials, 80% of the trials they build, they're still diesel, right? So even though they have a better product and stuff, but their customers um, aren't ready yet to support electrification, or they could be building cement on a grid that is, um, you know, not even hooked up to, to true power yet, right? A lot of infrastructure building. I'm building a bunch of infrastructure unless there's a lot of charging stations and battery stations out there. That's going to be really difficult uh, to do. So yeah, it's, um, it's all, it's, that's why I think it's going to be, it's going to be a generation. I think we're going to see a generation until we get to true, true electrification through everything. But, um, but it's fun to, fun to, fun to be part of it. A quick word from today's episode sponsor, Kenza IO. Guys, I speak to a lot of organizations wanting to develop their own smart solutions and the common barriers that keep cropping up is complexity. This is why I'm so behind Akenza IO. Using their no-code self-service platform, companies can build great IoT products with value cases, connecting, controlling, managing, and securing IoT devices all in one place at speed and scale. Their unbiased technology makes it possible to register any type of device via any connectivity technology, process the data, and make it available to any application in the cloud. The platform is adapted to organizations of all sizes, from startup to enterprise, from one device to massive IoT deployments. Thanks to the self-service solution, you can start creating your IoT case right away, even without coding skills. Akenza IO are offering an exclusive 30-day free trial, so you can test the platform out for yourself. Check out the link in the description and start building your smart solution today. I think we need to be careful as well, right, that we don't push everything back into the cities even more. So if you look at the issues that we've got, you know, rural Wi-Fi is still a thing. Yep. Still is difficult. Uh, you know, transport, infrastructure, you know, again, if we're pushing everything electri- electrification or software defined into the cities, you know, what do folks do when they're out, you know, on a ranch or they're out, you know, in the middle of nowhere? Uh, it's going to be really difficult, isn't it? And that and that's a real challenge that we need to to be aware of. I would say, hundred percent, without a doubt, right? When you're looking at that, what, what what environment are you working in? What environment are you shipping to? Those have true limitations, right? Mm. I mean, we do a lot of stuff in the oil patches, and the connectivity that our customers use is pretty much satellite. You know, they'll use uh, they'll use cellular for some stuff, 
but they'll use they'll use satellite because they can't get a strong cellular connection. I mean, and that is there's a lot of money being invested into oil here in the states. So you got to figure if we still don't have connectivity in those places, um, that it's uh, you know a, a full electrification and connected machines has, has got a long ways to go. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and on that note, then, so how how is IoT enabling this collaboration, then, Adam? Yeah, you know, we 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 joke around, we're a little cheeky about it, but you know, IoT is just a feature, right? So we uh, we say that we're just a, a, an ingredient into the ecosystem, right? We're we're helping these companies get connected a lot easier. We're connecting ecosystems together. Um, I think that's the big thing is if you're able to go out there and connect. Um, not just the electrification, the battery management system, but other important data points around that machine. They will get that up to the cloud and share that information with the OEM and the suppliers and everything. That's a really big deal, right? And without IoT, without actually connecting the other things on that machine or those other machines that are working with that machine, um, this would be a lot, lot more difficult task. But IoT is providing an incredible amount of insight, data, and information and ultimate collaboration between these companies to to help, I'd say, accelerate the innovation, but also mitigate uh, the risk uh, to these projects. So it's it's exciting to be to be part of it. Yeah, it's nice to hear you talk about IoT being a um, you know a small part of product and offering because I, I like the idea of that. You know, I've always had to. The idea and the notion that you know IoT will become as synonymous to the internet what the internet was when people called it the World Wide Web, right? Yep. And it's and it's the conduit, it's the connector, it's the enabler to get things moving to get us onto the next uh, level. Uh, and it's really great to, to to hear that and to see you talk about that, Adam. What advice would you give to companies looking to implement IoT in their industrial electrification processes? And, and what should they keep in mind to ensure a successful implementation? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I do think it really does start with, you know, who you're going to partner with, right? There's a lot of different types of partners out there and how your company likes to work with different partners. Because I think what we've seen is the the most successful projects, there's very strong partnerships between all involved from the, from the hardware suppliers, the IoT suppliers, to the OEMs, to whomever. The other pieces you do have to have, we've seen the biggest success knows when, you know, to, to still a great quote, start with the end in mind, right? Start with when is your project's first production release going to be and mapping out a plan with all the tasks going back. Those are tasks internally as well as externally so you know where you are. Um, making sure you're identifying the value drivers that are going along that, both internal and external. And the other pieces. Our most successful companies have a true IoT product manager or, or business leader on staff. They're folks that that, that is what they're identified to because they know this is changing the way they're going to build the machines, service the machines, operate the machines, and their end users ultimately consume the machines, right? And so that piece, it used to be another job, you know, duty for someone else. Well, the companies that are really serious about it have hired the personnel to manage it. Right, because it is a whole different business transformation. Um, but if you have those pieces together, there it's actually not that complicated. It used to be really complicated five, six, seven years ago. I think uh, you know what the major cloud partners, major hardware partners, and service companies have done have really mitigated the risk to roll it out. So if you can get the rest of the organizational pieces put together, it'll be a you know a successful successful launch. 
Yeah, yeah. That's really great advice. Wise words. Thank you, Adam. And and where do you see the future uh, of industrial electrification and IoT? And, and how do you see these technologies evolving, say, in five or maybe even 10 years' time? Yeah. So I think you're going to see um, a couple things. I think you're going to see a lot more edge uh, compute. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more autonomous type operations, even sub-autonomy type things of ecosystems out there. Um, I think you're going to see more infrastructure around to make uh, in you know, 10, 15 years down the road to make this more more possible. Um, I think the technology is going to, we're going to learn so much uh, over the next five plus years that the, the machines that are going to go out in 2030 are going to look night and day different um, if not on the outside, definitely on the inside um, than what we see we see today. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about the stuff that's happening on the edge. We got to see it out there. I think the edge compute and edge analytics and not having to push everything to the cloud and keeping it out there is uh, is pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, I, I saw you know I saw a comment a debate going on. You know, if IoT is dead out there, and I actually think it's just getting started. I think it's actually just kind of weeded out um, a lot of the PowerPoint presentations and marketing stuff. And now we're getting to the actual uh, nuts and bolts and bits and bytes of, uh, of the machine to, to make the whole thing work. Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I hope you're right as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but I think, um, I think yeah, with, with, with the news of Google and various other bits and pieces, you've seen some... Uh, some weeding out and I think that's the right phrase right you know it's beyond just a report that Gartner puts out now we're actually going to actually start doing some work and start making some things happen so it'll be interesting to see where we go with that um, this has been really interesting today I've, I honestly really enjoy the the talk around different models of electrification the challenges that we've got and to to hear from someone who's doing it right now in their business so thank you so much for sharing some of those insights it's been absolutely great um, Adam as we come to the near the end of the podcast um we're filming this now february 13th um we always ask people uh certainly when it's the start of the year if they have a prediction for iot and then we'll find out near the end of the year if it came into fruition or not but what do you predict in for iot in 2023 i think big question yeah, it's a big question. So I'm going to look at it maybe from our perspective of, of where it's at. What what I'm going to see is is that we're going to pass that that chasm where the majority of companies are releasing IoT solutions that they're not even probably branding as IoT, right? They're going to have their digital boat or they're going to have a digital solution for their tractor or whatever the case is. It's going to be powered by IoT, but it's not there. I think it's going to become more just the norm of doing business. And they're creating um, partnerships than than um, than you know marketing and PowerPoint and messaging, right? I think it's I think we've made this massive transition to um, almost you know there, there's that quote that everyone threw out five years ago, ten years ago that everyone's going to become a digital company. Well, newsflash, everyone is a digital company. Everyone's doing Teams and Slack and everything, right? That's happened. So IoT is just going to become a feature. Like we said, right? It's just going to be a feature on a machine and it's going to make basically what it's going to do is we already do these business operations. You're already doing these things. IoT is just enabling you to do it smarter, more efficiently. And so I think it's just going to be threaded in the DNA of the machine and the business operations. I think this is the year that we're seeing that big jump, 
Um, I know from our own space that we've had dozens, if not hundreds of OEMs that are in pilots that are moving into pre-production and production because they are, they've gone through that, right? They've realized this is going to be a, a part of the way that our, our machines are going to be built and serviced and operated moving forward. And it's part of their design now. So I think it's a, a major step for the industry that uh, we're just going to be part of the bill of material. Yeah. And, and that would be a success, right? If we got to that yeah. point, yeah. you know, that would, that would, that would absolutely be a success. Um, amazing. We've got some quick fire questions for you, Adam. I, I, this is my favorite part of the show, the quick fire That's questions. Uh, could you had always, always very different answers. Uh, the first one's actually got, actually quite a nice, uh, question. So what advice would you give to someone starting a career in IOT? Yeah, um, I, I, I try to get into the business development sell side because I think it is so exciting to understand um, understand that piece of businesses and also where they want to go as a company. And I think it's going to be massive transformation. The, 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 the technology and suppliers are there. You don't have to be scared about it anymore. Really get to understand um, your customer's business, the industry's business, their needs, their pain, and help them get there. I think it's probably one of the most exciting places to be um, there. I completely agree. I completely agree. If you look at most CEOs in a business, uh, chances are they come from a commercial background and a sales background. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest gifts that you can have to be able to communicate with someone, to engage and to provide a level of service to someone. So uh, I totally agree. And instead of me harping on about this for ages, I'll move on to the next question. Um, but thank you for answering in that way. What's your favorite app outside of work, Adam? Um, favorite app? Out of, probably my birdies app when I golf in the summer. Oh, nice. nice. My, yeah, it, it definitely helps me figure out where I'm on the course. And uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's probably my favorite, my favorite app. Um, other than that, um, I probably I spend probably too much time on Twitter reading stuff. And, okay. And, um, yeah, it's probably and probably Netflix when I travel. I'm probably yeah, okay. on Netflix quite a bit on the airplanes and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, some some, some changes in in store for Netflix this year with, with Reed stepping down as uh, co CEO and uh, various privacy rights and things changing. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So this answers probably my next question. So was, my next question was going to be your favorite hobby, but I guess you're going to say golf. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, golf. Golf's definitely, you know, golf is something that I can go out to and you, you know, if you care about how you're going to score, at least how you're going to play, you're not going to be on your phone. And so I'm not checking Slack. I'm not checking emails. I get a few hours to, to kind of decompress. Right. So it's definitely um, definitely my favorite hobby to do uh, when when able to here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah I get it. And favorite book. <sighs> favorite book. So uh, Capitalism in America was probably my favorite book that I've that I've read. It's very okay. interesting to read about, um, you know, how we are the first country to be able to provide personal IP to the person rather than the company, how that spawned innovation, the good and the bad uh, through it is actually by Greenspan. I appreciate a co-author. It's a phenomenal read for anyone that hasn't read it. It's really interesting um, to, to, to hear about the story of capitalism in, in America. 
I'm going to get it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Adam, it's been great having you on the IIT podcast. Honestly, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for your patience and for aligning calendars uh, to get you onto the show. Uh, yeah. And as a time, and as a time as we're uh, recording this today, it's a, it's a day of our relaunch with our new website, new branding. So uh, very timely. Congratulations on that. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Adam. You take care. Thanks. Before we go, I wanted to thank today's episode sponsor, Akenza.io. Don't forget to check out the link in the description and gain access to a 30-day free trial of their self-service platform. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. See you next week for more IoT talks and tales.